Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode and uh, continuing the journey through Matthew. That's what we've been doing for the last um, quite a few months, and it's what we're going to be doing for the considerable future. And uh, I, I really can't find any better use of my time than to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible with you. And I think that is probably, as I've mentioned before on the show, the direction we're going to take with it. And we've got 66 books and it's going to take us a long time to get through the rest of these. We've done a handful, you know, if you go back in our timeline, we've done revelation and we've done a whole bunch of the prophets in the old Testament and looked at some books there as well. Uh, now we're going to go verse by verse through every book of the Bible and ensure that we hit everything. So we'll probably do, um, maybe we'll, we'll break the Psalms up since we won't do all 150 books at a time. Maybe we'll do them, you know, so many, uh, at a time and then we'll come back to them and just kind of sprinkle those in. So those are some things that I'm just kind of thinking about as we progress on into, uh, the future of the show. Um, making some good headline on the book. I hope to be completely done with it here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's not going to be a very long book. Uh, I would be shocked if I even get close to a hundred pages on it. Um, mostly because of its context. Uh, it's really kind of a test book to see what people think of it. If the concept works, then I can write more and do a second edition and make the book longer. If it's uh, one that really people thoroughly enjoy then obviously that's what we'll we'll do but until then um we're just kind of um testing the waters if you would so uh, for the those who are patrons you'll get a free copy of the book if you are a listener and you'd like a copy hit me up on instagram and i'll make sure to get you a copy you can hit us up on the undying light ministries page or uh, just dm me on Cormdale life and we'll uh, get you a copy so i think um if, if it works, if this works out, I might be able to get it published and I'll be able to point you to where that is. Other than that, I don't know really ultimately what will happen, whether I just go with a self-publishing 
or if I actually get a publisher to do the work for me. So that's kind of the, um, I guess, news on my front. So today uh, we're going to look at Matthew 15. We're going to look right just here at these first few verses. Uh, we're going to unpack what uh, Jesus has to tell us here, and uh, then we will go on with our day. So let us dig in Matthew 15, verse 1. And then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Why did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as, doctrine, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. All right, so that is Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9, uh, titled here in the ESV as Traditions and Commandments. And so we see kind of that conflict between traditions and commandments. Now, before we really start to unpack the text, I do want to make a few things, kind of, you know, discuss a few things, if you would. There is an, you know, there's the construct of traditions, uh, and then there's the construct of commandments given. And the traditions, interestingly enough, by the Protestant church seem to really be frowned upon, whereas in the Catholic and the Orthodox and even Lutheran and Anglican churches, traditions are, you know, utilized. And so we have to be careful with how we un- come to understand the the focus of traditions and their importance within Christian worship. If we are solely basing our entire worship on what other people did, and it takes us away from God, and we start to you know kind of move towards the linear scope of man and honoring man, and revile and revering man, then we're taking our focus away from God. But to, you know, focus on, for instance, in my church, we're a traditional liturgical worship setup. Uh, we do hymns and we have a certain liturgical process that we follow each Sunday. Uh, this is to highlight the very important things that we as a church have determined the people in the congregation needs to hear. This is our um, coming to God and pleading to God for all of the things that he has promised to give us. And that is the absolution, the confession and absolution, uh, you know, at the beginning of the service where we come and confess our sins and we are, are, then I absolve the church through the, through the words of Christ. And then we move into prayer of the day. We have a song uh, that we worship God with. Then we have our scriptural readings in the new Testament, old Testament and a Psalm. And then we have the gospel reading and then we have our sermon and then we conclude the sermon with the hymn of the day, another focusing of our worship to God. Uh, and then we have the Apostles' Creed on non-communal Sundays. And then when we have communion, it's the Nicene Creed. And then we do our offering. And then we have our, um, if it's a communion Sunday, then we move right into communion. And we do the Lord's Supper. And we worship God in that form. Uh, and then we conclude with the benediction and the closing hymn. 
on non-communal Sundays, we go from the offering to the prayers of the church. And then from the prayers of the church, we turn to the benediction, Lord's Prayer, and uh, the closing hymn. So that is our kind of construct in what we would consider to be a traditional liturgical worship service for us. And while we have our focus on a traditional worship service, we do not want to deal with any of the contemporary or modern styles of worship. And interestingly enough, I'm going to preach a sermon this Sunday that kind of unpacks why we want a traditional service. And it it is a lot more of the kind of the focus really uh, during a traditional service is on worshiping God. It is hearing the word of God and responding to the word of God, allowing the word of God to speak and allowing the people to respond. In a contemporary service, we don't see a lot of that. It's just uh, upbeat, emotionally high, strong songs at the beginning, a pithy TED Talk type sermon, and then more emotionally high-driven songs to conclude the service. There's no Apostles' Creed. There's no Nicene Creed. There's no Athanasian Creed. Uh, Communion is generally looked uh, down upon as just being a mere ordinance and not a sacrament. Uh, There's no Lord's Prayer. There's no prayers of the church. Um, There might be a prayer, but good luck with that in some churches. And so it really has moved away from how the church has constructed themselves over the last 2,000 years. And I think it really pays well for us to, to understand a passage like this and understand what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. So the Pharisees come and they and they they are utilizing a tradition that has been kind of built into their culture, and that is the washing of their hands before they eat. That is the you know tradition of man. But there's never been a commandment from God that states that. While there's no explicit commands from God to say that you must say the Apostles' Creed every service or the Nicene Creed every service or you must you know do this and that, the early church was built around certain tendencies, and those tendencies have uh, evolved into what we do in our church today. So there's, we, we have to be very careful, and, and I say that with, with, with as much um, caution as possible. We have to be very careful with how we handle a text like this, because the Pharisees have moved completely away from what God had commanded, and have essentially made a law in and out of how people are to live. And that would be, in this case, washing of their hands before they eat. And they've made it a law now, and they use the church as a means to punish those who break it. That is not what Jesus is. That's what Jesus is targeting. It is not the use of traditions in the church or the use of traditions by us today. That is not what Jesus is targeting. Now, if we utilize and, and, and elevate that and say that if you don't do it this way, then you are obviously not worshiping God and you're, you're, uh, you should be punished by the church because you've done X, Y, and Z, then we have elevated the tradition of man over the, over the commandments of God. And so if we go back into the Old Testament, and I'm using the, the, the definition of worship uh, you know, to kind of parallel with uh, this passage, because I think it works and walks us well through understanding how do we handle this type of a passage, especially in today's uh, line of sight when we have a lot of the Protestants that 
frown upon using traditions and um, they funny enough use traditions of their own um, of their own traditional theology or school of theology if they're a Calvinist or um, you know or reformed if you would they have certain traditions in their uh, in what they've been taught and how to worship God they don't have any crosses or they may have one cross in their church but it's probably fairly rare that they do. There's no pictures of Jesus. There's no pictures of the saints. There's no pictures of the apostles. There's no pictures of Mary. Um, good luck finding stained glass windows, you know, those things, right? It's like, uh, it's a very plain altar. It's very plain setup because they feel like all of that is a distraction. And so that is a tradition to themselves that they have created. And so that. Uh, again, is something that we we have to understand that there's going to be traditions in every in every uh, theological view, whether you're Catholic or Orthodox or Anglican, Lutheran, or Reformed, Calvinist, whatever it is, you have traditions. What they are, you know, what what Jesus is targeting here is the uh, the use and the elevation of that tradition over the commandments of God and utilizing that tradition to then become law in the church's eyes, in this case, the Pharisees' eyes. The Pharisees would utilize and level this, uh, you know, and drop the hammer on these people when they broke, quote-unquote, this law. And so that's why uh, Jesus is targeting this particular notion. It is not a means that traditions are bad because every person has traditions. We all have some sort of presuppositional influence that we bring into the church setting. And that can come from whether you know whatever we were taught by our pastors, or what we were taught in seminary, or what we were taught by simply just reading the Bible. Now, the, interestingly enough, the New Testament doesn't really give you the formula for worship. We have that in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament also's formula for worship included the sacrificial system, which we do not do these days. So. We have to understand that there are right ways to worship in the Old Testament, and then there are right ways to worship in the New Testament. And the New Testament doesn't give us an explicit formula, and so therefore the church is kind of given, I don't want to say a free pass, but we're given creative input in how we worship God. We have certain things that we should obviously do because they are uh, worshiping and glorifying God, and there are means by which we can speak to and hear from God. That is why we do the things we do in a, in a traditional worship. In a contemporary worship, there's not a lot of that back and forth. So and what I mean by back and forth is when I open a service on any given Sunday, I open with the confession and absolution. That means I call the people to worship in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I start to address their need for repentance. I call them out for their sin. They confess their sins, and then I through the powers and words of Jesus Christ, absolve them of their sin. It's again, no power that I have. It is the power that Christ, and I am the mouthpiece for that. I am the one speaking on behalf of Christ in the church. And so I absolve them of their sins. And then we move on to worshiping God through song. And then we move on to prayer. And then we move on to worshiping God through his word. Then we worship God through music. And then we worship God through the sacraments. You know, and that's just how we do the do the service. And in a contemporary, there's not a, any of that back and forth communication. The congregation is very rarely responding to anything unless they're generic questions by the pastoral staff. 
And so um, I, that's why I, I think if we want to really harp on anything, these it's the contemporary worship that draws people essentially all the way out of the church and draws people away from what the church has done for the last 2,000 years. And it draws people away from that that open communication with God and that ability to call upon God and to be assured that God has forgiven you of your sins and be assured that, you know, the things and the promises that Christ has given us, salvation, eternal life, and the resurrection of the body are being spoken to us. And we say that in the creed. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We believe in one resurrection, one baptism. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in God the Father, the Holy Spirit. All of these things are displayed and proclaimed in the creeds, and that is why in a traditional service we say them. So I want to make that very clear, and I kind of harped on this a little bit, but I want to make it very clear what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. He's He's not badgering the the traditions of the church here. He is going after the Pharisees and how they've elevated that tradition to become a law. That is how we distinguish a passage like this. And so if I'm preaching a sermon on Matthew 15, that's how I would say any time in a church that we would take something that we've done and make it a law that we must do it. And if you don't like it, then you are guilty of breaking that and punishable by death or punishable by excommunication or punishable by whatever whatever it is, then we are doing exactly what the Pharisees have done here. They have elevated the washing of the hands to mean that the people are would be ceremonially unclean if these people come in and eat with their dirty hands. They would be defiling themselves. And uh, so that is why the Pharisees heart are, are you know kind of targeting that, but they have removed or they've really kind of removed the the view of why one should wash their hands. You know, it's there there is no law that God says in the Old Testament that you must wash your hands before you eat. There are there are ways to cleanse oneself before certain things take place. But the Pharisees take that to the far and absolute extreme. And so I want to be very clear again, with the things that Jesus says and what he's not saying in this passage. And and I really want to kind of go against the modern tide of, you know, the in the Protestant circles and especially in the Reformed circles, that traditions are bad because every church is built on a tradition or presuppositional basis on the, the- theological thought of that view. Lutherans have a certain way of worship. Uh, Anglicans have a certain way of worship. Protestants have a certain way of worship. Catholics and uh, Orthodox have a certain way of worship, and they're all driven upon their, you know, their Orthodox type teaching or their theological basis of teaching, or some sort of presuppositional basis of teaching. They're all pretty much intertwined and intertangled there. So. Jesus responds to the Pharisees elevating this to law, and he says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Again, he's saying that that tradition has broken the commandments of God. That tradition has been elevated above God's commandment, and it's become law. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But I say to you, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God he not need not honor his father for the sake of your tradition. You have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. And then he talks about Isaiah here in this prophecy. So 
let's unpack here a little bit what Jesus is saying. He's quoting the fourth commandment that has been given to the Israelites on Mount Sinai and another law that mandated death for reviling the parents. This is given to the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. On the basis of Old Testament laws, Jesus taught that grown children had an obligation to provide for their aging parents. So that's a huge piece, too, to go into what Jesus is saying uh, in response to it. And notice that Jesus doesn't use or target the actual tradition here that uh, the Pharisees are harping on. Jesus goes and actually drives to something that is absolutely vital, and that is the breaking of the fourth commandment. The Pharisees are just harping on something that they've built into as a law, and Jesus goes and targets right at the heart, and he says, no, you are breaking commandments. Here's an example. You've broken the fourth commandment because you do not honor your mother and your father. Even as you are an adult, you are to honor your father and mother. That doesn't end when you turn 18. It doesn't end when you move out of their house. It doesn't end ever. You are to honor your father and mother, and that means, as Jesus often teaches, to provide for your aging parents. Take care of them. Do what you, they need in order to live a, a, you know, a normal life, if you would. And so in this instance, Jesus is actually faulting the Pharisees and the scribes for their teaching that one could provide financial support for their parents by vowing the money to God as a gift. Such a vow might not be fulfilled until much later, if at all, allowing continued use of the money. And so it's really kind of a deception that the Pharisees and scribes have been masquerading around saying that they're giving this money to God, but probably just spending it or using it for themselves or using it to mass uh, their wealth up. And so they they claim to be doing something, you know, as, and this is the prophecy from Isaiah. They, they honor them with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They are doing things. Their actions are, are, are speaking louder than their, than their heart is. And, and in this case, even the words are speaking louder because they're honoring with their lips, and, but their heart is far from them. So it's a disconnect between the heart and the mouth here. And it's a disconnect from their faith in God and their actions that they're doing with their hands. And so they are you know, essentially hypocrites. And that's what Jesus calls them in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, they are saying one thing and doing another. And that is the basic definition of a hypocrite. And so they uh, have void the word of God. And Jesus accuses his opponents of setting aside God's revealed will for the sake of their human traditions. John Huss says this, they still ill who teach good things and do them not. Worst are those who teach nor uh, worse are those who teach nor do. Worst are those who prevent the teachings of good things. And still worst of all are they who live ill, forbid the teaching of good things, and teach their own things. This is taken from the church, page 201. So then, as noted, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And though Jesus harshly criticizes hypocrites on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as indicated through chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Matthew, this is the first time in Matthew that he applies this term to the Pharisees and scribes. Their hypocrisy includes self-deception, assuming that they were serving God by their conduct and rules, when in fact they were not, as we just have indicated. And so... Uh, that is, you know, an interesting tidbit to deal with. Again, we have to see what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. He's not 
hammering on the the traditions of worship he's hammering on this tradition that the pharisees have elevated to be law and really what they're doing is they're masking that tradition in in light of something else and so they are honoring god with their lips but they don't actually make the connection with their heart their lips are are saying one thing and their actions are doing a completely different thing and so they are uh, the basic definition of hypocrites and so the quote that uh, Jesus gives us from Isaiah is simply out, it's out of chapter 29 verse 13 people in Isaiah's day imagined that they were worshiping God even though they were in fact teaching human commandments the Pharisees and the scribes made the same mistake uh, we unanimously believe teach and confess that some ceremonies or the church practices are neither commanded nor forbidden in God's word but we have introduced only for the sake of fitting and good order. Such rites are not in or of themselves divine worship. They are not even a part of it. And that's coming out of the uh, Augsburg Confession. So it's, uh, like I said, pretty black and white that there are going to be things in the church that we do today in worship that are not commanded uh, nor forbidden by God. And they are there for right order. They're there for the, the normal conduct of a service. Uh, we don't see, you know, for instance, like the benediction to be something that's commanded by God in the New Testament to be done in the church. But we do it because we see that appear in Deuteronomy and we see that, you know, um, promise and uh, notion that God will watch over his people. And so we assign that to the service as a good order and good fit for a concluding service. So Jesus is dealing with questions of the law when he criticizes placing man-made traditions above God's commandments. God's law and the gospel dare never to be subordinate to human teachings or rules. Jesus came to fulfill every aspect of the law that he might be our perfect savior. And so the traditions of man should never supersede the law or the gospel. And so uh, that is, you know, the perfect definition, if you would, to how we would handle this situation. So I think when it comes down to it, you read a passage like this, don't just jump into the assumption that all traditions are bad. Don't just jump in and think that everything the church does today is wrong. And we should go back to this archaic structure of worship. Because that's not what Jesus is saying. What we are seeing is the elevation of our traditions to be made into a law or above God's commandments or ones that we supersede. And this is what Jesus uses as a demonstration that the Pharisees have dishonored their mothers and fathers by hoarding the mother or the money instead of passing it on and assisting the mothers and fathers. And so we have to read the text and understand you know, the greater context, but also just simply hear what Jesus is actually saying. He is not targeting, you know, the tradition in of itself. He's targeting the fact that they have elevated it above and violated God's law by their actions. Their, their actions are speak, you know, differently than their words, which makes them the hypocrites. And that's how we would handle these nine verses. And so, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's not a targeting uh, of, of worship or a target towards the traditions in the church, because I know that there are Reformed people who listen to the show and they would probably um, 
assert that traditions are are wrong or they should be limited in their scope or they should be you know um, only you know archaic things in worship well you know god doesn't ever uh, command air conditioning or lights or chairs in a building so that should all be eliminated um, god never commands you know tvs or or digital devices in worship so all that should be eliminated and and i mean the list just gets really strenuous and if we are nitpicking then it's just going to get even worse and what we have to understand is are those things utilized for the betterment of the people and do they call us into worship and communication with god that is why we do the things we do in the church and that is why we have chairs and we have pews and we have lights and we have air conditioning and heat and we have etc cetera, etc cetera. Those things are for the betterment of the people so that way they can come and worship God. And that is how we handle a text like this. So uh, I'm going to wrap it just a few minutes early. So ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you have, please share it with other people. Uh, I wouldn't mind continuing to do these as long as people are continuing to listen. So share it and talk about it. If you want to provide some criticism or feedback to me, please do so. I'm all ears. It is Friday. That means Sunday's around the corner. So get your butt into church. And I hope you guys have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later.